You're listening to the New Hope Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about New Hope, including our service times and events, please visit newhopebc.org. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Reese Stenner. We're starting a new series that's going to carry on the next five weeks called Here on Earth. I want us to turn to Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. It's a beautiful story. We're going to have some great stories of Jesus. Next week is going to be the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, so here we go. Luke 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Amen. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And all God's people said, amen. This series, Here on Earth, recognizes what we call the doctrine of the incarnation, the fact that God became man. God was made flesh, Jesus was born, and hallelujah, he is here. Now, usually we focus on those early chapters of the Gospels like Matthew 1 and 2, and Luke chapter 1 to chapter 4 tells us about the birth and origins and family line of Jesus. But on this occasion, we're going to begin, and we've, we've begun, in fact, with Luke 5, which is, first of all, a day in the life of the ministry of Jesus. So after the birth of Christ, Jesus grew in stature. We know eventually, of course, they escaped to Egypt, come back to Nazareth. Jesus learns the trade as a carpenter. He's called to go and preach. He's baptized, temptations in the wilderness, and next he comes to Galilee, which is the setting for us in Luke chapter 5. I want us to see that the reading that we just read is a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9 says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Let that encourage you today. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This, my friend, is the incarnation. Jesus is here by the way of the sea, light shining in the darkness in Galilee. 
Here's another way to express it. John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that literally pitched his tent among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Do you want one more scripture on the incarnation? Galatians 4, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Let's give God praise for this truth, everybody, that Jesus came from heaven to earth, the pre-existing Son of God came down, a light shining on the earth, shining in Galilee, the Word made flesh, God made man, just at the right time, in the right setting, and He came for sinners such as you and me. This is the greatest good news that any of us could ever hear, and many of us may be hearing it for the umpteenth time, but I don't think that it should ever weaken in our hearts for Jesus Christ is here on earth. And so the first thing I'm saying, first of all, is our first point. It's the miracle of Jesus on earth, especially from verse one to three, but actually it's all of the gospel and it's all of our life, the miracle of Jesus on earth. He came. I think it's easy for us to miss the sense that the gospels have, that after all the waiting, after all the prophecy, the gospels in effect saying, this is it. Now is the time. He has come. It actually happened. We're blessed to see it. Isn't it a great thing to know that Jesus is here on earth? And so now we see in verse 1 Jesus standing and speaking. Jesus standing and speaking. And then we see that the people are crowding and listening. What a good response to the incarnation to lean in and listen to what the Son of God has to say to us. And that's what they did in Galilee. I've been to Jesus Town, and Louise was able to be there for the first time last year as well. Capernaum is called Jesus Town. That's where Jesus' operation was, was based when he first began ministering. It's wonderful to be down by the, the shore there in the Sea of Galilee and had the opportunity to speak in Capernaum last year as well. What a privilege it was to speak in the place where Jesus himself taught. But let me tell you something, though I was a speaker there, I'm a learner of Jesus Christ. Everything I have is what comes from Jesus, amen. And so we see here the miracle of Jesus on earth. Tell your children and your grandchildren the Christmas story. Read them that Bible book. Read the story yourself and refresh yourself or get to know it for the first time, the miracle of Jesus on earth. Secondly, notice in our story here the miracle that Jesus commands men and boats and nets and fish. Let's read on. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He sees fishermen and boats, two boats and a fisherman. Now, this one's not difficult for me because my brother is a fisherman called Peter. You may have heard me tell this story before, but uh, I grew up by the sea, and so it's not hard for me to imagine kind of a, to hear the sounds of the, of the seagulls and everything. But my brother's got a boatyard in our hometown, Tynmouth. When I was um, playing cricket and, and rugby and soccer, my brother was on the boats from the age of eight or nine uh, he was, I think by the time he was 10, he was working full-time on the boats. He was highly illegal, but he did it for fun, and he got some money as well, so it worked out well for him. So he grew up doing that, and now he's got this uh, marine engineering business with tugs and boats all over the UK, and he's kept several small boats in our hometown as well. The people in my hometown call him the Admiral. No one knows the sea better than my brother Peter in Tynmouth in that part of South Devon. But it's the same with Simon Peter. He's got the local knowledge of the tides and the weather and how the fish behave. 
It sounds a bit strange to say like, behave to the fish, but he kind of knew how the fish operated and how the whole thing worked. He knew how to handle boats and fishing tackle. Give me a wave if you like to fish. Come on, give me a wave. I know quite a few of you like to do that. And Charles used to take that trip to Alaska. A whole bunch of New Hope men would go there. And so I know some of you will know how to fish. Simon Peter's professional pride is on show here. But Jesus, the incarnate one, surprises Peter. Verse 3, he gets in the boat. I would never do that to my brother. I would never get into one of his boats unless he said, get in the boat. That's the only time I'd get in the boat. I would never do that. But Jesus gets into the boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus, from heaven, now in Galilee, as the scripture says, and he gets in a boat. I think that's really, really cool, that Jesus involves himself in the events of men. And he says to Peter, just put out a little. I want to say this something to you all right now. I love our church. I love the fact that we sit around God's word and you're very attentive to God's word and you, you encourage me with your, this is the amen corner over here. This is the actual amen corner, okay? So uh, we, we love his word. We, we, we know it's like, God, you, you, you need to speak to me today. We need to hear his word, don't we? I love it that we're in our family groups and we gather around the word. And I know some of you all, you're teaching the children. Uh, you're encouraging Brother Neil. I was able to meet the fourth grade uh, last week as well. And we just appreciate what each of you is doing with all the different grades. Can we give God praise for those that do that? We don't believe that being a disciple of Jesus is just in the classroom or gathered around in this setting, though it's very important. And I need to open God's Word every day in my life and keep turning to the Word, and the Holy Spirit reminds me of the Word at key moments that the, the Lord will just give me something through the day in a, a particular situation. But I want to say this, my friend. One of the key ways for us to grow spiritually is to maintain faithfulness in the house of the Lord, faithfulness in our family groups on a Wednesday night and reading our devotions. But if that's all we do, then all we are is kind of like mind Christians, we, we also need to be feet Christians as well. And so the way to grow spiritually is to do what the Lord tells you to do next. If you want spiritual growth in your life, keep investing in those discipleship processes. But there will come a point when the Lord says, and I want you to do this. I want you to give this. I want you to forgive them. I want you to experience my peace. I want you to step out in service. Oh, one of the pastors asked you to serve? Well, why not give it a chance? One of the leaders asked for, their, for your assistance. You're like one of those people in the boats. And uh, the, the great catch came, and it's like, you're going to go over, and you're going to join in the harvest. When we put out into the deep water, when we put out and do what Jesus tells us to do, there is great blessing in doing that. Let's give God praise for that, shall we, everybody? Be attentive to what God is calling you into. Because you see here, Jesus commandeers the boat. Jesus, in, in a sense, takes captive all of Peter's life. Jesus doesn't come merely as a visitor to earth. He is the creator, and he's come to put things right, and he's come to work through us. Now, in the Falklands War, see, I'm still going back to the seaside where I grew up. In the Falklands War, around about 40 years ago, Britain sent a naval task force of 42 ships to liberate the Falklands Islands 8,000 miles away in the deep of the South Atlantic. After the war, the war had finished, a big ship was approaching our town. And these were like pre-internet days. Uh, the rumor went around the town that the SS Canberra was coming by. It was going to finish its a port of call in Southampton from where the Titanic was launched. Uh, so it was coming back there. And so it was going to go past our hometown. So rumor had it that it was coming by. So my mom and myself, we got into our mini 
And we drove down about half a mile into town. We're coming down the hill. And it looked like this massive ship was on top of the Royal Hotel. It was actually about half a mile or a mile away. But it was going by the town. It looked like it was in the heart of the town. It was so enormous. When we got down there, there were 10,000 people on the seafront. And from the ship SS Canberra, they were sending us Morse code. Now, my brother probably knew what they were saying. But everyone was excited. The war was over. There were 6,000 men on board, 10,000 of us on the seafront front, and it was just a, a glorious uh, moment for us there. And, but I want to tell you about the SS Canberra. It was commandeered. It was a luxury ship, but when it came to a time of war, it was commissioned. It was recommissioned. It was commandeered to take part in this vital battle. And I just want to say in Jesus' name, it's time for the luxury liner to end, and we need to be commandeered into the service of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Nobody ain't got no time for that anymore. The age of the consumer church is gone. We're called to be all in. And there's a blessing. It's a blessing to be in that situation. Who wants to be a consumer Christian? Who wants to be a weak Christian whose church attendance is affected by how hot it is in the sanctuary or not? We're really demonstrating our commitment here this morning, and y'all are staying awake. Think about this. Jesus commandeers Peter's possession his profession, and his provision. Have you considered that that says a lot about who we are? Because we tend to think that belongs to me. My possession is mine. My profession is mine. My provision is mine. I'm telling you, my friends, though, a miraculous catch is about to occur. But look at the miracle, because we're going to see that it began with a problem. Jesus says, put out into deep water, but every miracle has a problem attached to it. Here's the problem, verse 5. Simon Peter, and you've got a problem, right? you got problems. We've all got problems. Simon Peter said, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing. We tried it once before in our church and it didn't work. That was, the, not the, that was almost the first time it was said. Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, according to the word of Jesus... They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Jesus tells a professional fisherman how to fish. That was a very brave thing to do. I need to tell you that. I would never tell my brother which side of the boat to put the net on. This is all, though, about the say-so of Jesus, because you say so, I will, and when they had done so. Jesus says it, but Peter does it, and that's how you grow spiritually. That's how we grow spiritually. Yes, we read the God's Word, and we love His Word, and we gather around, and we praise God, and we lift up holy hands, we confess our sins, and when God calls us to do something, and we say, Master, I've worked hard all night, we've tried this before, this seems to be impossible. When we do what God wants us to do, there is great blessing in that. Despite everything He knows, Despite Peter's feelings, oh, I have my feelings. Forgive me, sometimes feelings need to be listened to. But sometimes, do you know what you need to say to your feelings? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter recognizes the word of Christ is greater than what he feels and even what he thinks as a professional fisherman. He's worked all night. It's been an unsuccessful work shift. The fishermen are tired. This is not the routine. We never do this. This is not the way that we usually do things. And I'll say it again. I would never be able to persuade my brother, hey, Peter, go and fish. I would never tell my brother what to do. No way, Jack Sparrow. 
You haven't met my brother. But this is Jesus speaking to Simon Peter because you say so, I will do it. This is surely the hinge of the passage where everything gets turned around. Now, it is a miracle that Jesus commands fish, right? If you think about it, already the fish are beginning to assemble. They've been pretty disparate. They haven't been able to be found. They're starting to assemble in a particular place. And Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to put out into deep water because there's some fish out there. I want you to go and get them. Already Jesus is commanding nature. Do you know why? Because he is the commander-in-chief of the whole universe. He's already commandeered the boat, but he's also commanding the fish. And throughout Scripture, you can see that it's not the World Economic Forum. It's not all the alphabet experts in the world that actually are controlling the world at all. It's actually the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And he's the one that sends the rain. And he's the one, you read the scriptures, he's the one that sends the wind just at the right time to dry out the Red Sea so the children of Israel can cross. He's the one that would withhold the rain because King Ahab was a sinful king. And God says from the word of Elijah, it's not going to rain for a while. But then God sends the rain in due course as well. There are 14 biblical famines. Let me tell you something. God presided over each and every one of those famines. He knew exactly what was taking place. He is Lord of all nature. We should praise him one more time. Let's take a break for 10 seconds, 10 whole seconds of jubilant praise. He's the king. It is a miracle that he commands. And next week, the feeding of the 5,000, you're going to praise him even more for the feeding of the 5,000. But I'm telling you, isn't it equally every bit as much of a miracle that Jesus also moved in the heart of a fisherman? And, And understanding fishermen like I do, that was the miracle of miracles, one of the greatest miracles in history, I would even say. But isn't it a miracle that God works in your heart? And that 2,000 years after the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in a hot sanctuary in Fairfield, Georgia. Isn't it a miracle that our hearts can still be thrilled with the fact that he is here. You are here moving in our midst. What a mighty God we serve. It's a miracle that he moved in the fishermen as well as bringing the fish all together so they could be caught. Consider this. Is it a miracle when you find yourself actually doing something that God wants you to do, even though you didn't want to do it. Peter didn't want to do it. But because you say so, he did it. And that was a release of blessing. He becomes the great, uh, God commissions him. He becomes one of the greatest men in spiritual history. One of the greatest men in spiritual history said, Master, we've been working hard all night. Don't want to do it. I'm too tired. Sometimes you and I say, oh, I'm so tired. You've got to obey the Lord, and it's a miracle when he speaks to you and you respond. What a beautiful thing it is when that happens in our life. He speak, here's the thing. He speaks to the fishermen first. Though he's moving in the realm of the fish, he's moving in the heart of the fishermen. And here's the miracle of all this, that God brings it all together. He works in the hearts of men. He works through fishing boats. He works through fish. He works through the wonder of the sea. And so it's a great miracle in, in so many ways. He commands nature, but he also commandeers the hearts of men. Verse 6, when they had done so, say hallelujah to that. They could have resisted. 
I don't know what life would have been like had they resisted, but isn't it wonderful that tremendous spiritual growth took place in the life of Peter, not merely hearing Jesus teach, not merely being in the synagogue and understanding the scriptures, but Peter grew by doing what Jesus told him to do. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is a very practical thing, obeying God in those things that he tells us to do. Spurgeon said on this very passage, we learn from this narrative the necessity of human agency. The draft of fishes was miraculous, yet neither the fisherman nor his boat nor his fishing tackle were ignored, but all were used to take the fishes. And isn't it great that others were called to help as well? When God's moving, when God's doing something, that does encourage us to participate as well. Somebody has to be the first though. Peter put out into deep water. And then verse 7, they signal to their partners in the other boat, come and help us. And they came. And they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Are you willing to help? Are you willing to be involved? Uh, May this December, may we experience a harvest of souls. Friday, even this very morning. Friday, Saturday, Saturday again, Sunday. May there be a harvest of souls. Can somebody say amen to that? May there be a multiplication of the generosity in this church so that this church will be amazed and that the windows of heaven, it will feel like the windows of heaven are wide open and a blessing was poured out upon the church next week. Amen. Let there be a harvest of involvement, of service, where you find yourself moved to be, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I participate? One of the pastors says to you, can you help me here? And you go, you know something? Never tried that before. I've labored all night. I'm tired and it's hot in the sanctuary, but I'm going to participate. I'm trying to keep you awake, brothers and sisters, right now. Let there be a harvest of spiritual growth. Here's one thing. I know that there are people here today, you're going through tough times. And we're living through tough times. We're living through crazy times when the world at times seems to have, as they say in the South, lost its ever-loving mind. Crazy stuff going on in our nation. Say amen if you agree with me. Across the world. People will believe almost anything. And, and, and so it's easy for us to lose our peace, but can I suggest a harvest of supernatural peace in our lives today? Hands up for supernatural peace. We got it in Jesus' name, amen. So the last thing to say is, we got a choice in all that we've said. He's here on earth, he's in Galilee, he's in the boat, going to put out deep water. Because you say so, they do so. Others join in, it's a great story. I suggest that we've got a choice, finally, to either push away when a miracle occurs or to pull boats up, to either push away or pull up, and there's no middle ground. There's, we might be tempted to think there can be middle ground that I can kind of just get my ticket to heaven and then kind of stumble through the rest of life. I'm telling you, there's no middle ground. The call for the disciple is to follow him, take up the nets, and make fishers of men, amen? So verse eight, Peter is overwhelmed. Verse nine, folks are astonished. But with the workings of God, even in our hearts today, it's not enough to say, well, that was a great time of worship. That was a good sermon. It really depends on whether we pull away or we pull up. So the first one is to say, go away. Verse eight, Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. That's one way of responding to conviction of sin. 
We do something, our conscience speaks to us, we're convicted, we can almost hear our mama telling us that we shouldn't have done that, and so we feel conviction, we feel shame, and that can sometimes say, well, therefore I'm a terrible person, and that's the end of the story, I'm just gonna rot, I'm gonna be terrible. Go away from me, I'm a sinful man. When the Spirit convicts us of sin, that's one way of responding. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in our world today, a lot of so-called Christians, who declare themselves as deconstructing. Now, if you mean by deconstruction that you um, take a fresh look at how we are effective as the Church of Jesus Christ, that's fair enough. But if by deconstruction you mean to uh, ask the questions and not want to hear any answers, if by deconstruction you mean, I want to be able to sleep with somebody that the Bible says I'm not allowed to sleep with, then I suggest that is a major apostasy. And, and that's gonna lead to major spiritual trouble in your life. Uh, this world is a, a hopeless case. This world is a hopeless case. Everyone here today is a hopeless case were it not for Jesus. And we're here today because we believe in Jesus. We're clinging to Him. We believe He's the way and the truth and the life. That's why He came. So do not push Him away when He's your only source of help. Don't deconstruct from Jesus. We either say, go away, or we join the mission of Jesus. Verse 11, they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed Him. We either say, go away, or we join in wholeheartedly the mission of Jesus. You know, a number of years ago, we appointed a couple of deacons. Well, actually, we had a few younger deacons, and it's another season for us to do the same thing as well. And um, one of them was Mike Stewart. And he was, he was ordained the same time alongside Alex Edwards, called as deacons. And now one is the student pastor at the South Campus, and one student pastor at the North Campus. I'm telling you, friends, when you pull up your, pull up your boats, and you get ready to follow Jesus, and you step out into that, God will bring great blessing into your life. And I'm so thankful for these two young men. Let's give God praise for them, shall we? Spurgeon said on this passage, the moment we become Christians who are saved by Christ, we become his servants to obey all his commandments. Hence, it is incumbent upon us to search the scriptures that we might know what our master's will is. Thank you for listening. Be sure to rate us and hit subscribe to hear more encouraging podcasts from New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at newhopebc.org.